everybody, and welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast. So we are a bi-weekly podcast that's roughly every other week where we talk about technology through the lens of accessibility and design. My name is Jonathan. And I am Rachel. Hey, Rachel, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, doing good, trying to survive all the snowstorms we have here in Minnesota. That's right. I forgot about it. How's the ice? Oh, it's nice and slick. <laughs> we're looking at some more snow today, and then I think we're getting another couple inches another day or two. But that's that's life in the uh, northern Midwest, although it's pretty cold where you are, too. It is. Uh, and I have a friend, actually, that came to visit from Toronto, and I started joking and said, why did you bring the polar vortex? <laughs> You know, I never thought about blaming Canada for that, but that's a good point. <laughs> and he said, like, because he said, oh, I came, because they used to live here. So he's like, oh, I came looking for some sunshine. I was like, oh, and I said, what day did you come in? And then it was right the day that it got real cold. So I said, that was your fault. <laughs> uh, so we had some fun with that. Well, speaking of, I don't know, travel. And uh, warmer climates here. We're going to do a little segment here on some accessibility travel news that I think is pretty exciting. So uh, why don't we just segue right into that? What do you think, Rachel? Let's do it. All right. What do you think of our travel music? I love it. (laughs) So there's two pieces of news. regarding travel we want to talk about. One is about the destination and one is about the journey. What do you think we should begin? The journey or the destination? Let's start with the destination because we should always start with a destination in mind. <laughs> so the, the next piece of news here has to do about the uh, in South America at the, uh, the site of Machu Picchu. Good pronunciation there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was lucky enough to, about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, go and visit that site myself. My father and I went on a hiking trip uh, in Peru, where Machu Picchu is located. And uh, we went uh, on several day-long hikes, and we ended up at Machu Picchu. And from visiting there, it's a very rocky terrain. So to get there, first of all, there's this small town that you're going to be in, and then you get on a bus, or you can hike up to the top. And then in, as you go into the entrance, uh, we Machu Picchu is um, uh, a um, uh, an, an Incan a site. Uh, there's a lot of theories about what it uh, what it was originally used for. Uh, but what's good to know about it is that it is this ancient structure built out of stone, lots of stairways, lots of narrow pathways. It's amazing picturesque view. And you would think, as far as accessibility goes, that this would be an exceptional challenge. Impossible. Because the, the Incas, they invented, a, they, they built these big rock structures that have survived much longer than many of the modern day structures we might build today uh, and will continue to live on into the future. But they, what they didn't build were ramps. And so yeah. you would think wheelchair accessibility would be an issue. But uh, there is actually a travel group, uh, a travel company called Wheel 
the world. And they have come up with a accessible uh, tour of Machu Picchu for people who uh, have mobility difficulties. So someone who might be in a wheelchair, for example. Yeah, wheelchair users, now you can go for it. So this company has come up with this uh, special wheelchair that they're using. Now, I do want to specify that this wheelchair does have to be uh, driven by another person. So it's it's got a single wheel and long handles. So it, it kind of resembles a wheelbarrow is how they described it. And they've managed to find a pathway and make some modifications to the space so that they can get around and see the sites at Machu Picchu. And it's it's a huge site. There's lots of places to walk around and tour through. Uh, and they have made this particular, um, it's a, it's a, a full day, uh, sorry, it's a four day wheel the world trip to Machu Picchu. And the tour part, and this does not include the travel getting there, but of course, but uh, is about $1,500. And that includes uh, US dollars. That includes uh, overnight accommodations. So you just have to do the flights. And so that's actually pretty close to how it might cost uh, a person not in a wheelchair to visit that site as well. So it's actually quite reasonable too. That is, that is true. Yeah, because, I mean, we all know you're looking at, you know, somewhere between two to three hundred, uh, $3,000. So I was going to say something really, really silly, Rachel, that I did not think out. Entirely. What? I was going to be like, have you traveled to South America? Right <laughs> <laughs> you totally should have. <laughs> uh, it depends on what age. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you guys that don't know, I was born in South America. Yes. And uh, yeah, so I, I did when I lived in northern part of Chile. I used to go compete in Peru for um, water. Um, water polo and swimming. So uh, I had some friends that I made through competitions and I did get to, to you know, go around Peru. Um, did you ever uh, get around some of the, the Inca area or Cusco or any yeah, of those Yeah, yeah, I was at Cusco. I never went really up because, like, like you know, all the way to Machu Picchu because um, I just thought I had all the time in the world. So, you know, I, I kept going around, so I never really – did it because there were more interesting things to do with my friends. But then, uh, yeah, but I've been around and my parents actually lived in Lima for two years. But yeah, I, I should go back there now. And for a while, I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it because, you know, I had some health issues after I moved to the U.S. And and um, I had to get back in shape to hike all that. All that way, I'm not in the same fitness I used to when I was a teenager. One of the things about when I visit Machu Picchu, that if you ever do find your way there or or, or back into Cusco to visit some of the, the, the Inca sites, um, one thing you'll notice, like Machu Picchu is very interesting, is that they, you know, when it was discovered, they've been restoring some of it over the years. And what's really cool about it, so if you ever get out there, you have to try this here, is that if you go to one of the walls, that was built and it's the, still the freestanding ones that the Incas built. And you feel the wall. You just take your hand and run it up and down. It it feels like perfectly smooth. Like you can barely tell where the stones, because it's basically the stone wall that's been stacked. There's not even any mortar or anything in between it. Just stacked on top of each other. Uh, you can find that the, the, the 
gap between the rocks is so smooth you can you can barely feel it. But if you touch the rock in the area where they have restored it, so they've put up, in some cases, actually rebuilding some of the walls. It's all uh-huh. jagged. It looks like a rock wall you'd see anywhere else. And so it's all jaggedy. Things are sticking out. It's not that perfectly smooth because the Incas, they would, they would actually uh, chisel down the rocks to make them perfectly smooth, make them fit perfectly. And they just can't recreate it. So if you go up to a wall uh, in Cusco and you want to know, is it a original or is it a recreation? If you put your hand on there, you would, without having to like, like practice, you would know immediately if this was the original wall or not. It's really cool. That is, you know, it's incredible. I always admire, like, you know, I mean, I love ancient history to start with, but uh, I remember when I was at uh, the Taj Mahal, it's a very similar thing. Like, you know, it's all made of marble and they carve and they fit this perfect, like precious stones in it. And you have to really, like, really work it and have the sense of touch of a blind person that has been developed for years to actually even be able to sort of, like, you know, realize where where the stones are and how they and what shape they have. But it, it takes a lot of concentration, and it always, like, it baffles me. Like, you know, they didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have all the help and all that stuff. Like, it was all human work. So it goes to show to me that humans can do amazing stuff, like if they're like super focused and and I mean those hands, like you know any human hand, giving the 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 concentration, the will, and the ability, can do some amazing stuff. Absolutely, and like you said, the craftsmanship, the detail work. It's really incredible what some of these uh, historic sites, the just the the amount of of people all coordinating together, and the uh, just the the quality of the work. It's incredible. Well, and what's also really cool about some of these ancient ancient sites is that nobody tells you you cannot touch <laughs> <laughs> because the work is so well done that even like you know the touch of hundreds and thousands of hands a day like doesn't damage it i think it's like incredible so that's the destination right i said we're going to see destination we're going to talk about the journey here let's talk about uh the fact that if you were to fly so we're both in you know the midwest and if we wanted to fly to machu picchu here we're looking at a very 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 long flight and on these very very long flights it's good to have some form of entertainment along with you you know whether that's a book or not, and a lot of theater, and a lot of these different airlines provide a lot of in-flight entertainment. And some of that is through an app that you connect to the Wi-Fi on the plane, and some of it is in the seat back. There's usually a display where they have TV shows and movies and things like this. But historically, these these displays that have been built into the back of the seats not very accessible, right? No. And, you know, I will confess because I was in the flight, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago. Yeah, I went to Mexico and I was so upset because I forgot to uh, charge my phone enough. And I also forgot to download stuff on Netflix for me to watch. So we were in the flight and I was just telling my husband, why can't we just have those stupid little buttons anymore on the side? Because they used to be on, you know, on your armrest. There was a set of whatever, four buttons. 
and you plugged in your headphone and then you could just like, you know, one was mode, one was up and down, and then the other was to call the flight attendant, I think. So it was awesome. And, you know, you just kept flipping and flipping, just like, you know, old, old car dials, you know, you just go back and forth and switch and switch. And, uh, and I, I think half of my entertainment was moving around. <laughs> kind of like if you had the remote control and you click, 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 you know, that used to drive my dad nuts. Uh, but I half of my entertainment was really that. And it's in browsing through all the options. And then once in a while, I would run into a movie or something that caught my attention. And then I would stay there. Plus, it was part of the radio, too. They had, like, you know, like a gazillion channels of different type of music and all that, especially in international flights. And then uh, and they had a screen right in front of you, like, you know, built in on the seat. And you looked at the screen and then but the control was on your uh, armrest. And then all of a sudden... There was no buttons any longer on armrests, and then all the screens were touch screens, and nothing for us. And they basically put tablets into the seats in front of you with an entertainment system built into it. And like you said, that you you can't channel surf like you were doing. Although I, I will say I, I have been in a couple older planes that still have those, uh, but not very often. Not very often. And so these things are touch screens, like an iPad or a very well, yeah, and then that's the thing. They're not iPads, right? They were all no. kind of like uh, sort of quote-unquote cheaper, I mean, let's call it more affordable tablets, right, that are usually running some kind of uh, uh, open source stuff, uh, operating system. So, uh, yeah, of course, you know, it took a long time for accessibility to catch on. And, and I mean, in most flights, we still don't have it. I remember Mexico... Uh, flight, we had uh, several movies and some I wanted to watch because they were new movies that, you know, it's not on Netflix or in, on Amazon Prime yet, unless if you uh, pay to to see it on iTunes or Amazon Prime. And I wanted to watch some of them and I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't get to it. I had to ask my husband to um, help me out and I had to ask him to like, you know, change the volume every time it got too loud or too low. Um, I had to ask him to switch movies because I usually don't go for something right away. If I don't find one that I knew already I wanted to watch, I like to watch trailers and kind of shop around. I'm just like that. I love to shop around. So I remember that at some point, like I tried like four different movies and then he's like, okay, did you make up your mind yet? And and I, I know they had like the Goblet of Fire of Harry Potters or something. And then I was like, okay, I'll just watch Harry Potters again. So one of these new systems coming out, we have an article we're going to link to here, is about United Airlines has released a new plane or, or Boeing has released a new plane that United Airlines is using called the Boeing 787-10. And it's a Dreamliner. So it's one of these very, very big planes. And one of the things that they have been promoting is that they have accessibility in their flight entertainment. So they have two things. They've got uh, adjustments that the user can do. So changing text size, a magnifier, inverting colors to a full-fledged 
screen reader that has full gestures like you'd expect on an iPad, flicking left and flicking right. It can even be, the screen reader can even be initiated by the user independently by tapping the screen three times with two fingers. So you don't need to have a flight attendant come and activate it as long as you are aware that this is the gesture before going in. And it's one of the very first, you know, uh, accessible like tr supposedly fully accessible I haven't used it before so i can't i can't judge it fully but fully accessible in-flight entertainment systems there's been some others in place um this article talks about air canada having a 787 that has uh text-to-speech functionality in their in entertainment system uh and then virgin atlantic uh had an ipad based system so that had voiceover that could be turned on uh, but this one's got its it's all built into that display and also offers movies with audio description. Tracks. It had to be Virgin, right? Thank you, Richard Brinson. So this um, so this United, this new United plane, uh, has this fully accessible and it being a system in place. We're kind of hoping there's no official statement on this, but hopefully it's, this type of entertainment system will start to propagate across. Uh, lots of different uh, airlines and new planes are coming out because right now you've mentioned earlier that although maybe you couldn't use the display on the back of the seats, there is an app sometimes you can download and use, but you've had uh, mixed experiences with that. Is is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, and I mean, I mean, and I think United, I'm, I won't say for sure that United was one of the first ones to have an app. But it was definitely one of the first ones I was aware that had an app. And I don't fly with United very often. I'm more of a, you know, Delta Southwest kind of person. And when I fly international, I usually go with uh, other airlines. But um, I do remember that uh, United had their app, like, released not maybe like five years ago. I was going to Hawaii and and so I downloaded and I tried to you know I was like oh I'm gonna try it and I wasn't really hopeful that it wasn't uh, accessible you know I, I tend to think it's uh, not good <laughs> so my hopes don't get like way up there and then boom falls so I like to be pleasantly surprised better and yeah the app well, fell short uh, big time um, you know there was a lot of uh, buttons that didn't have labels, uh, you know, and being tech savvy, sure, I got around and, you know, I asked a couple of questions, uh, you know, to people next to me and, and I got through and I did get to watch a movie, but there was no audio description anywhere as an option in the phone or in the screen. And, um, and then I, I also kind of, um, you know, tried an app, a couple, an app a couple more times. And it's it's usable, but I wouldn't say it's fully accessible. And, um, it, you know, you have to tweak and use some tricks to, to get to things. And it's not very obvious. There's a lot of trial and error. And uh, from what I can gather from uh, Justin's article, uh, he's actually blind too, he uh, mentioned that, you know, that was his. That was the same case with him using the app not too long ago, that he still had to, uh, you know, guess a lot. And he's a very techy savvy uh, accessibility consultant himself. So, 
Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of experience trying to figure out how these things should work or knowing, you know, maybe instinctively like if your video is playing, knowing that the play, pause, fast forward, and rewind buttons might be at the bottom and that the play is usually at the bottom left. Like that's something that only if you understand user interface, you'd know where to look and explore. You wouldn't expect an average person to just maybe instinctively know that where Justin Justin probably has those sort of instincts from his experience. Right. And it's like, you know, you work with a lot of seniors that recently you know, lost their sight or have minimized their, the, the, you know, the vision that they, the usable vision that they have. And we wouldn't be able to expect from a, you know, new user, that kind of uh, expertise. Which is why it's important. And we don't know this with United, but that to make sure that they have their, their flight attendants properly trained on these features, because somebody like one of my seniors coming in, especially, who has low vision, who could maybe really take advantage of the magnifier, right? Maybe they're not at the point where they're using a screen reader, but they want to turn the magnifier on. Well, that feature doesn't have a gesture that just turns it on and gets it going. So there might need assistance from the flight attendant, and they might need to know how those features can be activated and who might use them and how to turn them on. And if you don't have that type of support, you can end up just kind of sitting in front of this display that's accessible, but you don't know that it's accessible or you don't know how to activate it. And maybe the staff there isn't aware and, you know, might as well not even be there if you can't get it working. Yeah. And I think this is something that, you know, people don't understand. Like everybody thinks that or assumes that a blind person should be able to ask and shamelessly, well, per se, right? And I mean, you know me, you know I do. <laughs> but I mean, most people, most sighted people have trouble asking. I mean, I think, I don't know, I would try to say that, you know, nine out of 10 people I know have trouble asking for help. And I think it's kind of sad that we need to ask. I mean, that we assume that blind people should have that ability first of all. And then second of all, it's about dignity. You know, we're not all the same. So you feel bad for, uh, you know, asking the person next to you or asking the, the, the flight attendant, you know, to be there and be doing everything for you. It's, it's a little bit denigrating, you know, it, it's, um, and somebody like me who is shameless about asking, I annoy the crap of most everyone. Because I keep saying, okay, no, tell me this and tell me that. and No, go back. Uh, let me try this one. No, I don't want that one. Can you do this again for me? And people, you know, get annoyed and say, like, they think I'm asking too much. So I think it's it's a little bit, uh, you know, it, it's dignity. I think when you work with accessibility, you're giving dignity to your, uh, you know, clients, to your passengers, to, in any case, if you are business, you should always strive to give dignity to all your patrons. Well, it's good to hear that there is some progress being made in these in-flight entertainment systems uh, and that companies like Boeing and, and United are starting to build. And so I'm, I'm optimistic about maybe the future of in-flight entertainment. I realize in the world of things that's uh, not the uh, of accessibility, there's a, a lot of progress to be made here on the ground, but it's good to see that the skies might become a little bit more friendly. Oh, John, come on. When you fly it, like, 
17 hours, you want entertainment, believe me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very important on my top list <laughs> <laughs> because you can never guess how much stuff you have to download on your phone. <laughs> Well, I want to segue us here into our next and last section of the podcast here. We're going to be talking about some hacking news. So, dun, 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 uh, dun, 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 dun. This just in, 2.2 billion email accounts have been compromised. Actually, uh, well, that's actually true. So I was reading recently <laughs> about uh, this recent uh, dump of hacked information. So basically, these hackers have gone in and stolen email accounts, passwords, and potentially other information from different accounts. And they've been doing this over the years from various breaches you might have heard about. And there's a place online now, and there's been these five collections of email address and passwords that have been dumped online and people can actually download them and uh, uh, and on these torrent sites and it's actually been downloaded they think like you know a hundred times or so and it's being posted and hosted by a handful of different people and they're out there and chances are that your email got compromised that you're on that list somewhere and so I wanted to talk about when you hear about a hacking thing like this, is there any way to know uh, if you have your information out there? And of course, generally speaking, uh, the question of have I been hacked at some point? So has somebody stole my information somewhere online? Is less, less of a question of if and more of a question it's of, question of when. when, exactly. <laughs> so if you want to know how and when, uh, there is a couple of databases online where you can go and you can check. Now, of course, this doesn't cover everything, and it mainly um, covers stuff that they know has been openly spread around. So some of these hacks go on, and they're undetected for months. But if you want to get an idea, then there are two sites, and we're going to link to both of those. So one of them is one I've been using for a while called, called Have I Been Pwned? That's uh, literally, have I been P-W-N-E-D? And we were talking about that, that pwned is a misspelling of the word owned. If someone like beats you, you've been owned by them. Uh, except for the letter P and the letter O are right next to each other on the keyboard. So if someone was typing really fast and said, you have been pwned, uh, they might accidentally hit the P instead of the O. So it's P-W-N-E-D. So it's sort of a play on a misspelling. Uh, and we'll link to it in the show notes here. Uh, but this is a site where you can put your email address in, and uh, it will go through these databases, and it will tell you if your email has been breached. And I did test it, and Rachel, you tried it as well to ensure that it worked with our screen reader so that it's an accessible site. Correct. It's like breaking news. Have I been pawned? Is fully accessible to screen readers. That's right. Uh, also, you'll notice it's a, also a heavy advertisement. The site is for 1Password, which is a password manager that actually allows you to create uh, these randomized passwords. I actually use this program myself. So uh, do I. And uh, if I put my email address in there, which I, I just did, uh, I can see that my email and password were stolen uh, from Adobe in October 2013. Uh, by Dropbox in mid-2012. 
by Kickstarter. Kickstarter lost my information apparently in 2014. They lost my uh, my email username, uh, but they may not have lost all my passwords. They might have lost that password. Uh, LinkedIn in 2016, uh, and a couple other places. So what's important about this? What's important to take away from this is that if I had, for instance, let's say on uh, Dropbox. I used uh, my username is my email address, right? So they got my email address and I used a password. And in order to deal with the fact that I have so many online accounts, I may have reused the same password on another account. Now, one that hasn't been compromised. But if I reuse that password and a hacker gets it, what they're going to do is they, Dropbox knows they've been hacked and they've actually forced everyone to change their password. But what they'll do is they'll, with my email address is they'll go to every online service they can find. So they might go to PayPal, they might go to Amazon, and they might try my email and the password I use with Dropbox in several places until they find the account that I used the same password in. If that happened to be a really critical one, like a banking or PayPal, like I mentioned, or, or any other account that has other information, they can get in and find out more and use that to steal my identity or to transfer money or funds. It can be very dangerous. So it's good to, it's good to have a unique password for each of your accounts. And I know that's a challenge because it's easy to forget. Uh, that's why companies like 1Password exist, where you can have it generate a random password. But even just creating a file somewhere or writing it down somewhere is, uh, and using, a safe, using the same password, writing it down, that's safer than reusing passwords online. Uh, because someone has to have physical access to that uh, to that copy that you made. So it's important to have different passwords. There's a second account I'm also going to link to that was new to me called Hasso uh, Planter Institute. Uh, and they also are a place you can put your email address in. And then they send you an email uh, that uh, details what services uh, you've been impacted by, uh, hackings that occurred. And what, what exactly they took from you, like passwords and date of birth, first name, last name, address, et cetera. And uh, they put it in a nice table that navigates uh, quite well. Uh, and so that's another way of, of getting to it. And I, I found out about that one because have I been pwned what didn't have the full list from that larger hacking, uh, but I believe they have it now. Uh, but that gives you some options and both of them kind of read differently. How do you spell that one? So that one is, um, I'm actually going to give the, uh, the well, we're, I encourage you to look at the show notes at access.ninja here, but Hasso Plat, Platner is H-A-S-S-O-P-L-A-T-T-N-E-R is their name. And they have a, a, a page that's called, Is Someone Spying on You? <laughs> and uh, like I said, I'll link, I'll link to that one as well. And, uh, I found a little bit more information than I found just on uh, have I been pwned uh, when I did that search as well. Uh, although I'm I'm well aware of some of the hacks that that occurred uh, on my account as they uh, some of those people have notified me. Although I will note that one of them has not. But so I'm just encouraging everybody to create unique passwords. Uh, to use one of these two services to check to see whether or not your information has been stolen. And if it has, make sure you've reset your password on those accounts. Make sure you haven't reused that password. Uh, 
you mentioned, Rachel, you use one uh, password, for example, to manage your passwords. Yes. I have it on my phone and I have it on my Mac. And I'm being trying to talk my husband into getting for his Windows. Uh, and we'll link to that uh, program as, as well online. It is not the only password manager out there. It just happens to be the one that both of us use. And I've been using it for a very, very long time. And uh, I do like that it has an iOS app that that uh, that works well, and it has a Mac app, and uh, they have a uh, a PC version of it too, uh, and you can even use it uh, through the through the web. It's it's pretty um, uh, it's pretty great. So, yeah, I have some friends that use uh, LastPass, and they are very happy with it. But you know, there are several out there. I I use one password too because it works for me. Is accessible and well, except for the mini bar, whatever button, but you can fully use without that. So, I think there's also Dash Lane is another one that I've seen around. I don't know anything about that one, but uh, that uh, I have had a customer who uses that one too. So, just uh, keep your passwords safe. Uh, well, no, I guess you have to say you can't keep your passwords safe because once you set up a password. Uh, someone else can steal it from that uh, that other company if they're not using good security or they've got vulnerabilities. And some of these vulnerabilities are so sophisticated that uh, these companies are trying really hard to spend millions of dollars trying to do protection. They still get hacked. So once you uh, have a password, uh, don't um, don't presume that someone won't find out what it is through one of these exploits. Uh, so that's why you need to make sure that you're, they are unique. So, well. So the question is, have you been hacked? Yes. Yes. The question is when? <laughs> like I know so many people use Dropbox. And this was in 2012 they got hacked. But, you know, I know like half the people I know used Dropbox back then. And maybe even still use Dropbox. And we're part of that exploit. Kickstarter, yes. hugely popular. Adobe also. So LinkedIn even. Although LinkedIn's was back in... 2012 i think but a lot of people use linkedin for their online resumes so i mean these are oh, big man, places. i better check that out because i don't know when i switch my linkedin password unique well, passwords people what That's is somebody gonna do there you know like say i worked at this place when i didn't now i'm just kidding but yeah uh but it's important and i always tell all my friends Never, ever, ever use like the same password for your banking credit cards or anything that leads to your money. That's absolutely a no-no. Like you have to have a completely unique password for that. So be technologically safe. Uh, uh, also, uh, encourage you that if uh, a lot of these accounts uh, like iCloud and so forth, can, you can do... Uh, you can turn on additional security features. And uh, when available, I, I do encourage you to uh, to do that. I know, I know security is one of these things, and I always tell everybody that the, the more inconvenient it is, the more secure it tends to be. Uh, for instance, two-factor authentication is something that's available uh, through iCloud. So two-factor authentication means that when you try to log in on a new device, a new computer, a new iPad, it sends a signal to an existing device that you have, a notification that tells 
you on that device that someone is trying to log in. And even in the case of uh, iCloud, tells you where that person is physically. You have to allow them to log in. And then it puts in a number on the screen. You have to type that number into the, into the new device. And then at that point, you can now sign in. Now, it does mean you need to retain one of your old devices. So if you've got an iPad and a computer and you buy an iPhone, for example, you've got two other devices. When you try to log into that new iPhone, it's going to notify the other ones and you can verify it. Now, it's, it's inconvenient. You have to make sure you have one of those other devices around. And it's not, it's not, I mean, not the easiest because you've got to find that number and put it in. It's less convenient, but it's more secure. And security is not always convenient. But for convenience, sometimes we sell our souls. <laughs> and Apple's tried to make the, well, technology companies in general have tried to make these easier. Uh, Apple, if you have an iPhone, you might have Touch ID, you might have Face ID. Uh, but the first time you log in, it's going to be inconvenient. You've got to do that two-factor. Uh, but then once you're logged in and you're using it, you can use the facial recognition or the fingerprint sensor so you don't have to bump into those uh, those security walls all the time. But it's going to happen. And then people often complain, I've been using Touch ID for a while. It's great, but I did a software update, and now I have to put my password in again because my phone rebooted. And I go, well, that's because if someone was trying to break into your device by trying to fool it, oftentimes one of the things they do is restart the device a couple times in order to try to reset the password counter. And so it puts that extra security layer in place because it's to thwart a specific type of attack that happens. And yeah, it's annoying, but it's keeping you safe. And putting a password in, especially for someone who's using a screen reader, who's maybe not really confident on the keyboard, it's, it's difficult and it's challenging and it's annoying, but it is there to keep you safe. And safety, like I said, not convenient. What can I say? Safety first. Right. Go up. Well, I am waiting for my uh, finger ID on my Apple Watch because I don't have a password right now because it is inconvenient. Yeah, some apps and some features. Uh, Apple has something called the iCloud Keychain that will allow you to keep uh, passwords synced across multiple devices so it can automatically logged in. But if you don't have a passcode set up, I think it blocks that. Correct. And people get frustrated and they go, well, it's, it's, it's there to keep you safe. Exactly. Yes. What can we do? Okay, but I only break convenience on my watch. I promise. And the other stuff, it's all kosher. Well, I think I have officially probably hammered this message into our audience more than they even needed me to. So I, what do you think we, uh, we wrap this up? I think we should wrap it up. And let everybody go on with their weekend and have a wonderful time and uh, or a week whenever you listen into this. So with that, I think we will officially wrap it up. Uh, so check out the show notes, access.ninja. I've been I'm Jonathan. And I'm Rachel. Have a wonderful week. And be good to each other, all right?